Welcome back to Three Black Dots with Dr. Tiffany, Dr. Karen, and Dr. Zanetta. So we got Tanya Hicks in the house. Um, just so you guys know, Tanya and I go way back. We met in undergrad as freshmen um, at Tulane in New Orleans. Uh, we've been friends since then. We pledged together. We were line sisters. We were roommates. And we've been <laughs> friends for over 20 years, which is is dating ourselves a little bit, T. But um, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, uh, she is a nurse case manager in Syracuse um, and is we're going to talk about some things that have happened on her end since COVID um, hit and some information for all of us to use uh, for ourselves and our families. She is now a nurse case manager up in Syracuse. Tanya, tell us, tell everybody what that means. Um, to start what you do on a day-to-day basis, and then we'll kind of get into what we're going to talk about tonight. Sure. Case management in general is the coordination of services for anybody, um, whether it be in the hospital or the community. And so in the hospital, in my particular facility, uh, nurses do that coordination of services, and the goal is to be able to discharge you safely from home. And in the community, case management services can be the coordination of services to keep you from continuously coming to the hospital, which we, some of us know that that's a problem. So we assess and apply resources and um, have a lot of interaction with families to be able to discharge them home safely. And so we have issues with that on a regular day and on a regular basis, but then when COVID hit, it made it even Mm -hmm. 10 times worse. Right. Can I just say that I'm just really happy to have another New Yorker on because I'm not now the person who's speaking the fastest. So (laughs) thank you very much. Just saying. I didn't notice because I'm so used to it. Yes. I and I do actually tell people that. I tell people that all the time. Can you tell me if I speak fast? Because I'm from New York and I speak fast. Yep. So I do yes. too. I'm right there with Shout you. Shout out to Long Island. Long Island <laughs> representative. Yes. Both well. of them. Both of them. Tanya did a, a short foray into New Orleans, you know. Yeah. The highlight mm-hmm. of her time. Oh, but, uh, whatever. And I'm, I'm going to correct one thing. Tiffany, yeah. I'm going to correct one thing. Because yes, we technically did meet freshman year, but our relationship didn't actually start until sophomore year, sophomore year. on the infamous yeah. the infamous uh, videotape of Showtime, the Showtime best of Showtime at the Apollo. Uh, excuse Correct. me? Okay, we need some beats on that. <laughs> no, the people so, are here to hear about COVID. So <laughs> that's I love the deflection. <laughs> so we'll get back to I'll Showtime at the Apollo at a later time. Right uh-huh. now, the people are epic. here to hear <laughs> about uh-huh. Resource. Somebody so, may tell you yeah. the story in the comments, but yes, go ahead. We uh-huh. so yes, I'm happy to be here. Now, by the way, I'm blessed to be the here. The reason Thank she you. was joining us tonight is we were talking um, about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that, just about healthcare and everything else. And she was telling me how um, a lot of what you guys and I have been talking about with people delaying their cancer screening, right, because of COVID, um, and you know what we think how we think that's going to impact cancer, you know, after this is over. But she was saying they're seeing the same thing, that people who have chronic conditions like congestive heart failure, um, you know, angina, any kind of heart disease are not coming into the hospital delaying treatment. And then when people are being admitted, they're showing up much sicker, right? And then on the other end of it, there's issues with placing people, right, because of COVID and the pandemic. So talk a little bit about that, Tanya. Sure. And, you know, as you know, I'm in central New York, so our situation was a little bit lighter than in the New York City area. But, you know, there are diagnoses that we that we know of um, that continuously come to the hospital and we do everything we can to try to give the resources. So when COVID really first hit, when we got our first case, 
it was like the world shut down and we didn't know what was up. We didn't know who was open, who was doing what. And essentially we had to go on a hunt, start calling people. Um, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, are you seeing people? And so then when our numbers really kept, kept, kept going up, nobody was showing up to the hospital. And that made us really nervous because we knew that there were people sick in the community that desperately needed us and they just weren't coming. So the people who were coming were pretty much those in the, the emergent cases. And that became alarming to us because we already had people in the hospital that we were planning on discharging. And then when we got our first case, cases, um, it just felt like everything just bust loose and we didn't really have a gauge on who was doing what. So it was very frustrating. It was frustrating to families um, that now all of a sudden nobody can visit the hospital. Nobody can visit their nursing homes. So imagine having to make decision, any decision for your loved one and not being able to be there. So it was just frustrating to everybody across the board. And we did the best we could, but it's slowly coming back now that a lot of people are now going back to appointments because our numbers haven't been as high. Before good, maybe I would say two, two and a half months, um, a lot of people were not seeking care. And Tiffany, if you remember on one of our um, sorority chats, somebody said, you know, are we getting, or is everybody still getting mammograms? And everybody typed in, yes, 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 because we couldn't afford to have people miss, miss those right. appointments. Right. Yeah, that's important to make sure. Yeah. I think there, were, I think we had talked about it on another um, call or another um, podcast where uh, there were some estimates that up to eighty percent of screening. Had, yes. or there was an 80% reduction in screening. And that's really problematic, particularly for black communities. We've got to make sure we're staying on top of our screening. And, you know, there are lots of safeties in place. There are lots of, um, you know, when it comes to mammograms, they're, they're doing all kinds of cleaning, et cetera, making sure they're spacing people out to do cleaning. Colonoscopy can be a little bit harder in terms of getting mm -hmm. in um, for procedures, depending on what type of, of, of institution um, might be near you. Um, but please make sure that you are getting your screening. Uh, we just, we cannot afford to have late right. diagnoses in our community. Right. We cannot afford more disparities in care. And, and so, Tanya, what are some of the things that family members need to know um, because we know that, you know, family members aren't able to come to the hospital the way that they, they did before. And so right. if you're concerned about your loved one, what's something that you would advise? I mean, what should we be telling our family members um, who may be sick and who may be in the hospital? How can we advise them? Uh, nowadays, our hospital is open, but for for a shorter period of time, and it really isn't as flexible as we used to be. And so we're doing a lot electronically. And so here comes the digital divide um, that really keeps right. people away from you know, the information. And so mm -hmm. ultimately we just need you to talk to your providers in, in any way possible. And so if there can be a Zoom meeting with providers, if you can't make it, send a representative you know, to the hospital. But the limitation of visitation really hurt families, um, especially for those who are essential. You know, Some of us were still right. working. Um, right. And so how can it was already hard being able to come into the hospital for a meeting that we set up. You know, we like to do mm -hmm. everything on our schedule. Um, but if you were essential, you couldn't get that time off. That, that was very difficult. Right. So right. I think just really having communication and amongst families and really talking about when do I need to go in the hospital? Like what is going to you know, happen that I need to present right. and when I do present, you know, who's going to help me? Um, make, make decisions, who's going to talk to the doctors, all of those things. And we said right. we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that stuff later, but it's really about discussion. Right. 
Dr. Zanetta, you're probably the only one of us docs who's actually seeing inpatients right now. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about some of the resourcing? I can certainly tell you about incidents that I had um, with a family you know, post-COVID, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the resourcing that you're providing for your patients you know, uh, and their families during this time? I, I mean, I, I agree with you, Tanya. It's It's been really difficult. And so in my clinic, you know, we still are not allowing family members in in our clinic room. So I've done all kinds of conference, three-way calls, FaceTimes, met people in the parking lot. In the hospital, we are letting one visitor, you know, for a limited amount of time. But it's it's difficult. And one of the things that's really difficult is if that family member ha- happens to be very sick, you know, and you are really trying to find out what is it that they want? You know, what is it that they, what would they have wanted in their care? And so mm-hmm. um, it, it's really nice if if someone in the family can designate, like Tanya said, a representative so that we have a go-to and you want to yeah. have their contact information because we've had situations where we can't find a family member to contact yes. to oh, say yeah. what's going on. Oh, yeah. And I cannot tell you how heartbreaking that is when someone shows up two days later. Yeah, you know, and and we just didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. You had, I know, I talked to you about one of my um, friends from elementary school, from middle school, who whose husband was diagnosed uh, with lung cancer, and he also had a stroke associated with that, or some sort of traumatic brain mm-hmm. injury associated with it. And no one, they were not allowing. This is in New York, and they were not allowing any family members at all into the hospital. And the team would come and have a conversation with him, and he couldn't remember what was going on. He couldn't. So I'm trying to figure out how are the teams even trying to make decisions? And so Tanya, you may have had some experience with this where you do have patients who are disabled or unable, you know, to, to speak for themselves. I mean, what, I mean, I know hopefully things are better now, but were there any resources around that? Yes. So our particular facility um, had iPads and they were able to use the iPads to show, you know, what people look like and have conversation both with the patients and the physicians. And personally, um, I have a relative that's in assisted living and we only got 15 minutes, I think a week. Um, but what they did do is they allowed us to give them an iPad that we could use to see our loved one multiple times. But in the hospital, you know, nurses right. don't have time to, to no. do that all the time. So Right. Years ago, I used to, um, you know, giggle because Tom Joyner used to tell everybody, you know, have a day, take your loved one to the doctor day. And mm-hmm. I never really understood how important it was until I got in this role, because honestly, I think one of the issues that we have is that people don't really know how sick their loved ones are. And so yes. when, they Please. Yes. when they get in a hospitalized yes. situation, yes. they feel like, where did, where, did, I mean, where did this come from? Where did this, she was walking and talking just fine. And so mm-hmm. we have an yes. iPad. You know, we're, we're praying over the iPad. We're, you know, talking right. about the delivery of services. We're asking about, you know, um, decisions to be made over the iPad. And, you know, sometimes it worked, but it was it was just frustrating. I think it was frustrating yeah. for everybody. It really, mm-hmm. culturally, right. it did do well for us as right. a culture who normally when you're in a hospital, we like to show up, you know, right. so. What are some ways that we can plan ahead? I know there's something that that Mm. comes up in the hospital that's advanced directives. And so, you know, usually we people get nervous when they hear that. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and maybe what are some ways some families can plan ahead? Um, Because in my family, actually, we had a conversation over the weekend with my parents and it was the first time we had ever done this Mm. just about 
you know, things that we would want, you know, things that my parents would want. And that to me was a breakthrough. It really was a, a breakthrough to have that conversation. And it just prompts future conversations. So we said, you know what, we're going to follow back up on that. And we're going to start talking on Sundays just about what it is that that we would want. And I think that's really important. So how excellent, do you encourage idea. people to plan ahead? What are advanced directives? What should family members be saying to each other? Um, advanced directives are legal documents that are put in place so that a person can appoint someone to make their decisions for them in the case that they can't. So if you have some sort of catastrophic injury where you're unable to make your own decisions, there's a person that's available, a person or persons. You can identify one person and then identify another as an alternate. And so these are legal documents that are in every clinic. They're in every doctor's office. They're on the Internet. They're in pro bono legal clinics. They're at hospitals that you can get a hold of. And the importance of them is, you know, a lot of times families don't know your wishes. So I applaud you, Dr. Z, for having that conversation with your family, because that really is the first step. Having right. a conversation about if you weren't able to make a decision right. for yourself, who would you want to do that? Right. And appoint right. someone, appoint someone who you know is going to carry out your wishes. You know, appoint yes. right. someone that you know is available, uh, willing and able. Um, I'm somebody's right. alternate healthcare proxy that I didn't even know about. <laughs> so mm. have the conversation. It's more than just yes, appointing have, have the yes. have the have combo. The and so that's just one of the, that's just one of the things. And, you know, we tease people all the time and say, hey, you know, at Thanksgiving, when the whole family's together, those elders um, need to right. say, listen, here is where my documents are. Like, it doesn't have yes. to be this, 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 you know, family meeting. And it can be very much, uh, you know, uh, informal. My documents are in a shoebox. My dad's documents were in a shoebox in his bedroom. Mm. My mom's documents are on her mm -hmm. in her top drawer. Find out who has life insurance. Find out who has all of these different things. And I, I used to tease people all the time because every day in the hospital, we would have something happen to not an elder, necessarily an elderly person, uh, you know, a middle-aged person like us. Right. And you know, who knows where your social security card is? You know, if one of us was a veteran, who knows where their veterans paperwork? You can't talk to any entity without having a representative, um, right. you know, on social security and things like that. So really going over your family members and going through things with a fine tooth comb, uh, have the discussion, appoint somebody. And then, you know, you can really start talking about the financial part with the Hertz too. We've yeah. seen so many families fall apart right in Drama. front of us Drama. Yes. Of issues with decision yes. making and you know, right. I always tell the story. I walked into a gentleman's room when I was at the bedside. Now I do. I pretty much handle a lot of complex patients. But I walked into a gentleman's room uh, to see him who was going to surgery. And I'm doing my assessment questions. And I, you know, I did the made the cardinal mistake and assumed that the young lady that was at the bedside was his wife. No, you didn't. So course, oh. Rule number bum, bum. one, don't do that. So don't yeah, do it. I, you know, don't she gave do me it. that look like she gave me that look like no, because I was like, "Are you Donna?" And she was like, "No." Nope. And he was like, "She was like, I'm the fiance. I'm the fiance." So he, the patient said, "You know, that's that's my wife. Can you please take her off my records?" And I said, "Oh sure. Who would you like to you know put on as your emergency?" And then I said, "Hey, by the way, you're going to surgery. Are you interested in having a healthcare proxy?" And he said, "Well, what's that?" So I explained it to him, mm. and he said, "Well, what?" you know, why would I need it? And I said, well, if you were not able to make decisions yourself for yourself after surgery, I'd have to call your wife. And he said, tell me where to sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So what would you yeah. recommend, Dr. And, Tiff, on right. how do you approach the conversation? Well, I, you know, I, 
I think there's a gauge, right, on you got to know your family and their communication style, I think, you know, and you just got to put it out there and it's not comfortable, right? Like nobody wants to talk about this stuff, but, um, but it's a necessity. And I, and, you know, as you were saying it, Tanya, I was thinking about how the cultures are so different about how we talk about these things. So we like, even in our own families, we're not that open about it. Right? right. And so this does get to a lot of like, what is your family communication like? You know, mm-hmm. Tanya or Zanetta, right. one of you guys right. hit on a great right. point, which was a lot of times people come into the hospital and their family doesn't even know how sick they were to start with. So imagine right. this, and we've all had this. Right. Now you have someone in the hospital whose family doesn't even know how sick they were. They can't make decisions. There's no healthcare power of attorney or proxy. And mm-hmm. we have been in those situations. Yes. So many yeah. Last weekend. Let me last tell you something. Weekend. Yeah. I could not imagine doing inpatient right now in COVID and then people not being able to come in the hospital even yes. and have these conversations face to face. Because yeah. it is, these are hardest things. So like for me, Very I'm a doc. So I said to my daughter, here's my papers. Like right. Ashley knows where all my stuff is. My husband right. and I sat down. Right. It was like all matter of fact, right? Like boom, Very. this is what we do. But sometimes what you can do is use other people's tragedies to start the conversation. And what I mean by that is somebody might be in the hospital or somebody may be passing away or something like that, or you might see them struggling, right? Death in the family. Use that. And I know it sucks, but sometimes you have to use those situations saying, you know what? They went through some stuff at the end of their life. You know, we need to, what would you want? What would you want? to have happen, you know, if, if you were to go into the hospital, what would your wishes be, you know, and kind of utilize other individual situations that you might hear about, or even like, look, Chadwick Boseman was 40 something years old, right? When he passed away, it's like, wow, you know, this can happen to anyone at any time. You know, what would you want to happen, you know, for you, you know, if you were to get sick, let me tell you what I would want. So even starting with yourself, I mean, I know we're young, you know, we're all young. Yes. We're all young on this call. We are. (laughs) We're all young. But but still having those directives, even at our age, is really critical because we don't know. We can walk outside and get hit by a car. So it's really important, even for us as younger individuals, not just our parents, but have those conversations with our family to start it. That would be my thing. And I I think COVID. Oh, right. And, and COVID yep. has been a great example because yep. I mean, we've all known right. people who have passed away yeah. from COVID and, yes. and you all know, ages, people of color are, right. are dying more. So yep. this is now, I mean, it's so important. You can, you, you're at, everyone's at risk at this point. So yep. mm-hmm. um, people are still dying of natural, people are still dying of natural causes too. People are still having traumatic, you know, injuries right. and yeah. still having traumatic incidents. So that part sure. of healthcare has stopped. And so when we often always think about our elders with doing the advanced directives, and, and that's important too, but we really need to do it ourselves. And really, I didn't have a full conversation with my family. I just say, here's where this is. With my parents, I actually started the conversation because our local health department had these stickers to go on the refrigerator that said, my documents are here. And I just sent them to them. I don't know what they did with them. Oh, that's a great idea. I started started following up and I was telling Tiffany this funny thing that during (laughs) my training, You know, it just popped up in the conversation that we were having during my training somewhere, either in nursing school or when I was uh, at the bedside as a bedside nurse. They told us to keep your healthcare proxy and your advanced directives in the refrigerator, because if it were a a fire to break out, that maybe the refrigerator Mm. would be like the last thing to go up. And so Mm. 
truthfully speaking, my fireman buddy said if the fire started in the kitchen, everything's going up. But, you know, technically <laughs> uh, it could happen. But the funny thing is that I didn't know is that in, in trying to figure out was this true, it actually says that EMT sometimes will look inside your refrigerator because they're looking to see if you have uh, insulin and they're looking to see what medications that are in there. So somebody mm-hmm. may open up your refrigerator. So what a perfect place um, to put it. And I got my mom like a little dry erase board, you know, mom, put your, yeah, I, I think that's a really great, put your point. allergies. Yeah. Put your date of birth, put your allergies, put what hospital right. you want to go to, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. those things are like really important, like little quick things. And I think nowadays people are really starting to see that they need to pay attention to it. In New York, uh, we have the healthcare proxy form. We have, uh, you can do a living will, you can do a power of attorney. In some states, the names you know, are interchangeable. So Tiffany was talking about a medical power of attorney. In her state, that's what may be equivalent to a healthcare proxy. And the healthcare right. proxy is the person you appoint. Um, mm-hmm. to make your decisions only if you can. So if you're alive, well, and kicking, um, you don't have to, you know, call on that person. It's only in like a hospital setting if you cannot. And the power of attorney where we are um, is more of the financial documents. And when I was served on the trauma service, I saw a countless, like, every day people would get into a really bad accident and the breadwinner is the one in the accident who paid all the bills. The wife's name maybe isn't on the mortgage, isn't on the car. Guess what? You can't call those people and say, oh, I want to pay and you, they don't have your name. Mm. You can't do it. So you need those documents, especially, uh, you know, I would say in a marriage with home and children, because it's, it's protection. You, they would have to go to court to be able to get your assets and things like that to be able to pay off your debt. So um, it, those are really important. And then I have uh, a simple will, uh, which is a living will, which then explains all of my wishes. What I don't want, what I do want, after a matter of time, I want this. And it also even talks about who, if my son is under the age of 18, who I would like to have care for him and who I would like to um, handle his financial affairs. And I was able to get all of that. If you're unionized, which I am, my union had a simple legal plan that was $35. And I got all of those things done for $35 with lawyers signing on them and them having a copy Mm -hmm. and all of those things. You could get them for free. Um, you know, most hospitals may have a relationship with a uh, pro bono legal clinic, your county health departments, like all of those things you could get for free. Yeah, that's actually a really good point is to check, you know, with the hospitals and the hospitals actually have services. So hospice yeah. services will help with that and oftentimes will provide the notary services for free. So they will come yeah. and they'll provide the documents. And I know people don't like that term hospice. So you think about palliative care, hospice doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to die tomorrow, right? It's just right. a matter right. of if your right. loved one is in the hospital. And even if you're not there, even if you're not able to physically be present, to have a the hospice and palliative care service. So just ask if, you know, if you have a a loved one who's in the hospital, even if you're not there, ask to see whether or not there's a chaplain service or even palliative care services that can help fill out those documents for your loved one. It's really important. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Like what you hear? Make sure you rate and subscribe. Three Black Docs is available wherever you get your podcasts. And let me just tell you something. I had the the unmitigated gall to think that having a will is going to simplify things. Oh, it doesn't really. So (laughs) it's a piece of paper that needs to be signed and needs to be legal and that kind of stuff. And it does help to to state kind of what your wishes are, particularly if you have kids, if you have kids, 
Yes. Dr. Tiffany, Dr. Come, if oh, y'all have, have children, I get got the papers, things. right? I'm just I saying, in general, right. if you have children, you yes. must have a will because that helps to dictate yep. who's going to help care for your children, et cetera, should something happen to you and your spouse, right. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an important component. But let me tell you, when my husband died two years ago, I literally just closed out his estate. And the man didn't even have a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the heck? There was so much paperwork. And, you know, because he didn't have a whole lot, I didn't hire lawyers. I probably should have to do it. But, I mean, I tell you, it was just a hot mess trying to gain access to bank accounts and other things. So do have these conversations with your significant others. Now I knew my husband was sick and we had talked about, you know, you need to go ahead and transfer some of the stuff in my name. Did we do it? No. So I'm just saying, don't wait. Get it done. Have, have these conversations. Dr. Karen, you have access. You have access. You so know imagine what I'm saying? I know better. Yes. And they come in the hospital yes. and they're like, can you call Social Security for us because you work for the hospital? No, ma'am, I cannot. Oh, Social no. Security don't want to talk to me. No, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, folks <laughs> think that just because, you they know, you're, nope. you're yep. somebody's child that the stuff is going to pass automatically down. No, you got to put all okay. this paperwork. Now, in now you go into the fight that I'm having with my parents right oh, now. Boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I'm an only child. Okay. I have a will. I have a state set up. I have a binder. Okay. Me too. So I approached it as like, you know, I get, I showed the binder to my parents and my cousin and was like, here's my binder. And it has a sad face on it. If something happens or I don't make it back, like the first page is like sad face. If I don't make it sad face and it has all of my stuff in it. So I figured since I had it, I could say, all right, now do you guys have your stuff together? Right. You were trying to start the conversation. You were using right. that right. to help. I see. Right. And I, was, I tried to, but I have not yet been successful mm. because my mm. parents are like, you're an only child. You get everything. I was like, you still got to no. write it down. You got to write yeah. it down. You yeah. got to write it down. Yes. Down. So my child, as you know, is an only child. So look at my binder. And I have right? an only child too. Right. So I have my binder. And let me tell you, let me show you this other piece. So this is the piece of my binder that I had to get replaced. So it's important. You have these directives. It's important to go back and review and revise, right? Right. Yes, so make true. sure your that's paperwork true. is up to date. That's right. I originally had my estate done in Massachusetts, but I had when I was here in North Carolina, I had to get oh, a few things changed yeah. and edited. Yeah. Um, yeah. But make sure you review your documents. How and often for- would you recommend, Dr. Karen? I mean, I would say every five years at least, or when circumstances okay. and that's what change. I've heard. Yep. You know, so for instance, you know, my husband passed away. So I was like, all right, I guess I need to look at this stuff again. Right. Right. And I'm looking, I'm like, I I assigned who to be my what? It was crazy. Right. And but it's also different because Ashley's older now. Ashley's an adult. So she can be my healthcare proxy versus Mm -hmm. when we first started this process 10 years ago. She was young and she probably would have still been fine because she was been around medicine her whole life. But I didn't want her to have that sort of responsibility. You know, even if I say, you know, pull the plug X, Y, Z, that's a hard thing for a young person. to have to deal with. Um, if something were to happen w- with that binder, you need to have those copies somewhere else. So, oh, I actually have it on a CD. Stuff. So it's actually on a CD, Excellent. and it actually Excellent. is on its remote as well. So I paid extra yeah. money Dang. to have it so that it is electronic in a safe. And my it, my lawyer actually exactly. has exactly. And the reason why I say that is because Tim, I don't have all that. Need, Look, I was like, I need to step up. Family, I just got no, but <laughs> I got think about it. Think about it. Think about it though. Your your parents are in the, the lovely hurricane capital of the world, and my yes, mother's very nearby. And yeah. and things happen and documents get lost and they get tossed and they get you know swept away and True. they get burned. And so yeah. have copies CD. elsewhere. Give copies, have email, email it out, share it, 
do whatever you have to do. Take a picture of it. Um, years ago, we oh, that's used to a good idea. Them, like on the flip phones, we used to put ICE, right. you know, in case of emergency, and that at least yeah. let the health oh. professionals know. But now the iPhones that's are actually all good. You, know, you can ICE. put you can put a emergency contact and a star, but. We did all those. We did all those things, um, okay. and put a, you know put, put some in your refrigerator. I'll <laughs> all right, I'll put a packet in my fridge. So. <laughs> Don't put that big old binder. No. <laughs> no. no. Somebody yep. else had mentioned um, having a shared Dropbox with your family members, or you know oh, that's, that's good. actually that's excellent, excellent, or like a Google Doc or Google. Um, yeah. Use that's the technology great. that we have to yes. make your lives easier, right? Um, yeah. And just go ahead and get it because most of these documents can be electronic. And I love, Tanya, you talked about your job. That was the other thing. I didn't realize that my current job actually has a legal services. And you oh, pay like I pay $23 a month or something okay. like that. And they'll create all of these documents for free, you know? So, yep. you know, think, find yep. out what your employer may have. You might not even realize it um, so that you don't have to worry about, am I filling this out the right way? Just get it done, get it done for your state and, and you'll yep. have it on file. If you do travel, you know, we do all have, okay, most of us it. now have, um, uh, have electronic medical records uh, due to the Affordable Care Act. But, but when you have the electronic, med electronic medical record, whichever one you use, there is a, a capacity for you to check off so that your stuff can be shared. So that when, if you wind up going to a different hospital that you're not used to, or if you're out of state, out of town, whatever, we can click a button and find that. It's not an all-out assault to find every you know, family member uh, using all the tricks of the trade that we have to do that. And, and if we have to do it, we do. But there are simple ways. So don't say no to, sh you know, having your information shared because you just never know. We have in this area snowbirds. So people go to Florida for the winter and they come back. And so they literally They're have. Coming. Yeah, yeah, they go to see Dr. Z. That's right. That's right. taking care of them in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know Kobe. what's going on. Kobe. She got Rona right, right, right. there too. That's right. right. So right. just make sure that you can you can click those buttons. And so if there's an emergency situation, we'll have access. But I think a lot of this also has to do, I mean, we, we talk about the fact that we oftentimes don't have these very difficult conversations, but yeah. sometimes we don't even have conversations that are less difficult, like family histories. So, right. you know, right. talk a little bit about that, Tanya, because it's really important. But how, how can we even start that discussion? So during COVID, one of the things that I picked up on, I had started some years ago, but I picked up on ancestry. And we have a documented history on my mom's side, but like none, zilch, nothing on my dad's side. So I, you know, struck up my ancestry.com account and I started, you know, expanding the tree to include everybody. And sometimes you look up on a document that, um, you know, may be some sort of civil, you know, uh, like civil service document. And then you want, you don't know how they died. And I collect obituaries. And that's something that my cousin and I are doing. I don't know if Val's on, but we, we are exchanging obituaries, which is another important part. But one of the things that I started doing was realizing what did these people die of? I have no, I don't know my grandparents. Like, I, I don't remember my paternal grandmother. She died when I was very young. So I had no idea that she died of kidney disease. I had no idea. I pulled my grandmother's um, death certificate, um, one, because we didn't know who her parents were, but she died of a stroke. And so now I know that those are two things in my mm -hmm. family that we need to work work at. And so for me, it was sort of by accident um, that we find out. But, you know, people think it's really crass to ask what did they die of. But in a family member, like especially a direct family member, we need to know these things. Young people need to know. And so you do need to know what your grandmother had and what was your what was your grandmother's name and what you know and what did they die of? And a lot of times they don't know. 
my mother didn't know her grandmother's name. Like she didn't know her mother's, right. they never spoke about it. Um, and so she had no idea what her name was. She had no idea what her mother died of. Mm. Like we had no uh-huh. idea. I had no idea that we had a family plot, you know? So when you start like really going through the history of your family, you know, start dropping the gems, like, Hey, when did they die? Oh yeah. She had this, she had that. And you know, it comes out really naturally. And we had a family zoom, um, you know, everybody's doing the birthday zoom. So we had a family zoom and we started talking about history and I found out oh, that's that, great. that a distant relative, uh, Vivian Malone was one of the young ladies who integrated the university of Alabama. And that oh. is my distant And we were like stunned. And, you know, while we still have our elders, we need them uh, you know, on this to sort of shed light. And my mother is the youngest of 15. My mother's the youngest of 15 and she's the only one living. And so she doesn't know what half her siblings died of, but it's just really important to have those conversations and collect those obituaries, do ancestry. Cause I think you start finding out a lot. And once you start having those conversations, people just start telling you stuff and mm. you had, yeah, I had no true. idea. You had no yeah, idea. Right. Right. And also from a physician perspective, like in cancer, now there are so many cancers where, you know, your family history is incredibly important, right? People who have metastatic prostate cancer, we're doing genetic testing for them now. We weren't doing that before. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. So I, I advise patients like, hey, you may have this. I need you to let your family members know about it. And if there are questions, you know, they may need to be tested as well. So, uh, Tanya, I think you're bringing up a very important point. And I think, yeah. you know, incorporating this into your family reunions, into your family Zoom meetings, just to say, you know what, what did Uncle Joe die from? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and it just starts the conversation. You know, Tanya, you had said um, that uh, somewhere along the way about having the Thanksgiving dinner. But I was saying maybe we like in this era of Zoom, you know, all of our more seasoned family members know how to work zooms now and stuff from from birthdays and whatever you know maybe it's like a a zoom to talk about uh like your healthcare proxy and um you know your wishes the other thing was i think it was kim that asked somewhere um like where the forms are i wanted to say back then that there's a lot now online too of like simple wills like legal zoom and yeah there's another yeah. like mama bear legal forms things that like you can look online and get a like a simple will at least to start for like mm-hmm. a couple bucks you know mm-hmm. yeah and we um, have, uh, i gave ashley a thing called a peace of mind booklet she could probably put it in the chat and it's something that okay. i actually it came out in a booklet um set and i actually gave it to my parents i sent it to my parents as a guide and it just has it's a it's forms um it Who's your doctor for this? Who's your doctor for that? What funeral home would you ever want to to choose? Oh yeah, that's that's, that's great. That's, that's very important for us. Um, yes, you know, what yeah. you you, they have to do the body right. Who's doing the body? Oh, yeah. Who's doing yeah. the body? Y'all, this is who's doing the, the body? body. People are already telling us. Who's doing the body? They don't do a good job with the body. We need to normalize this because all of us, you know, have children. And guess what? We did that elaborate birth plan. We did that elaborate birth plan for the hospital. We did make your death plan, make your end of life plan, make yes. your family plan. Right. Go ahead. Normal. I didn't make a birth plan. My birth you plan was like, you just showed no. up. I was just, like, get the, that surprise you about Tiffany. Come on now. the baby no. and, yeah, no. and like, that's my birth plan. <laughs>
Tanya, can you talk a little bit about um, the problem with patients with a lot of chronic illnesses like cancer that you, you know, you see cancer patients, you see ICU patients in the hospital, Mm -hmm. very critically ill people. And the problem with them getting the healthcare services they need upon discharge, right? And what that is, what, what has happened in terms of like the rehab facilities and the nursing facilities, right? With COVID. Um, If people have, you know, um, family members at home who need like higher health care needs, what, what, where can they go to kind of get like home health care in place now? Or how do they find those resources? Because we were talking about that being another issue here. Yeah. And there are a lot of resources too that are under you, especially in our in our uh, area. But if you are hospitalized, that's where I come in and that's where the social worker come in and we can set those things up. The problem yeah. that COVID um, heard and we shared, you shared the article today about staff, you know, there was a, a time frame where we didn't know that there was asymptomatic spread. And so there was testing and P- PPE for hospitals, um, but the nursing homes and home care agencies didn't necessarily right. have those. And so a lot of staff people got sick and a lot of people either had to quarantine because they maybe were with someone who was, who was sick. So that decreased the nursing shortage even more. Um, right. And if you look at nursing homes in general, they're severely understaffed. So when COVID hit, a lot of them had to close admissions. So we didn't have a lot yeah. of places to send people, which yeah. also keeps people in the hospital longer, which is never, you know, exactly a great thing uh, for us or them. And so when it was time to get home, we ran into who can do what. Um, families were stepping up. God bless them. P- people who have never been caregivers before had to become caregivers. Um, people who had, you know, been caregivers couldn't get the respite and the and the breaks that they needed because those services were being um, taking place in nursing homes and also other uh, agencies. So my my best advice is to have a discussion and do an evaluation of your family and ask who can do what. Um, in the mm. case that we're all thinking this is the second coming is is, is on its way, um, there we don't know when it's going to happen. Um, who can do what? Who can really do what? People were outright not wanting to go to nursing homes. They still are outright not wanting to go to nursing homes. Um, mm. We have to do testing before they go. There's still no visitation um, in the nursing homes that I believe is going to start opening up. Uh, next week, but um, there's some stipulations to how you can go about that as well. And, you know, we have a nice, nice handy dandy list of all the states that aren't supposed to come to us without quarantining for 14 days. So that's <laughs> Including North Carolina. Yay! Including North Carolina. We made so, the list. We made the list, Florida. Yep. So my, my <laughs> advice for families is to have conversation. If I was to go to the hospital, who can provide what? Should I go into a facility um, that where you can't visit? Uh, or maybe have limit, limited visitation? Should I come home and try to, you know, max out as many services as I possibly can? Um, you know, once these budgets are going to be, uh, once these budget budgets are going to be cut so bad, we don't know what services mm. are going to be available. That's but true. your county health departments, your county health departments should have Office of the Aging, and they should have a lot of services available. But those things should be looked at now. You know, there are a lot of resources where families can get paid to take care of loved ones, but it takes 60 to 90 days to set up. So a lot of the services that we have available, it takes forever to set up, and it's not something that I can set up from the hospital. So start looking into those things now. Your primary care physician should have information if. You're in the hospital, we can give you information. 
your county health department with the office of the aging and i think something that's really underutilized are support groups people don't know that if you have a, a dementia or a cancer or different things like that the american cancer society has a lot of fun funding that can help with transportation to and from uh radiation because that's one of the issues that we have with people leaving the hospital needing radiation and chemo that was already a problem you know yeah, before right. covid but people don't go to support groups for their you know diseases and that's where a lot of stuff a lot of ideas and a lot of like aids that are privately pay that are good they share all those tricks of the trade of services um we have the five wishes here the five wishes the thank you for for putting this out here the person i want yes to make your decisions for me when I can't, the kind of medical treatment I want and don't want, how comfortable I want to be, how I want people to treat me and what I want my loved ones to know. This is great. I think you have to yeah, start ahead of time and and prepare people. You know, this is the plan. Yeah. You know, if this doesn't work, this is what we'll think about. If this doesn't work, I really want you plan. to think about what it is because my treatment may not be effective at that time. So, you know, it's important to start early, but I tell you, it really helps when you have those family discussions earlier. Yes. I, people, I promise you, people Please. can spend their last days a lot I better. Yes. A I lot more peaceful, yes. a yes. lot more, you know, with, without as much yes. pain. Yes. Um, if we can plan ahead of time. So I, I think that Tanya, I completely agree with what you're saying. Thank you. I think that's a great point to wrap up. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. The end, at the end of the day, you guys, we need to just have our families in the loop about the reality of the illness you're dealing with, the seriousness of it, what your need, you know, what your wishes are. Like, we just need to start having these conversations. Please, please. Three Black Dogs is not intended as medical advice. All opinions are our own. Three Black Dogs is produced by Wings Productions. Like what you hear? Make sure you rate and subscribe. Three Black Docs is available wherever you get your podcasts.